Kraus and Tony Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing uh, Tower Swallows Chapter 11, the final chapter of this book. This one is uh, one that has a very iconic image in it. Uh, probably one of the more uh, famous images. You see a lot of fan art of, of the ice skating scene. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's a really good tone setter for closing out the book on what this book was. This was a dark fairy tale book. Um, this was a book uh, that was Ciri's book. It was her uh, discovering her path, as I brought out last time, and um, and had, it started out with this very fairy tale like uh, way of doing things, complete with uh, you know having her tell Visigoda and the the repeated paragraph about the you know the place in the in the in the fog, and so that it would really evoke this sense of classical storytelling and fairy tales now here we close out that end we uh you know we we tie a lot of different threads together and uh we open with an extract which is just a little red riding hood with siri as little red riding hood uh you know siri go my what big teeth you have um, and, you know, that, that entire joke, and then Siri bringing out a sword, and, you know, do as you will. Fairy tales, uh, I've talked about before, I, I, I quite like the way this series manages to blend that fairy tale, almost parable, uh, type magical feel, otherworldly, with some of the more mundane, and... That, I think, was a fun way to do it. One of my favorite rewritings, I, I took a fairy tale class in university, and we read a bunch of uh, rewritings of various fairy tales, and then we had to do one of our own as well. Basically, uh, what the funniest one to me was a Little Red Riding Hood uh, fairy tale rewrite, which was about a page long, that uh, basically, you know, flat out, you know, what mighty teeth you have. Uh, Little Red Riding Hood pulls out an AK-47 and kills the wolf. <laughs> it, it is bonkers. It's stupid. That That's the point. It's there to make fun of it. <laughs> and, um, this felt like that, but within the world. And unlike that one where it's inherently ridiculous, inherently making fun of the fairy tale trope, here it's to show who Siri is now. As I pointed out last chapter, you know, she's like this... Punisher type figure, a witcher who kills monsters, and monsters for her is anything evil. And because of that, because of the path she has chosen and all the hardships she's endured, you know, she has become this figure, this almost mythical horror figure, like a you know, a headless horseman type character. Um, we see near the beginning of the chapter her approaching. Uh, the, the, the lake, and we see it from an ordinary fisherman's perspective, just from ordinary ice fishermen. Uh, once again, Sapkowski, very good at taking the, the, the grandiose and then bringing it down to a smaller scale. The, the ice fisherman is that way. We see Siri from someone else's eyes, and we see how scary she can be, even when she's not inherently hostile. She she glides across the place like some sort of demon. He he mentions the the demon on the black horse, the demon with green eyes. There's this atmosphere to the entire bit on the lake, especially in the ice skating section, that really harkens to a horror film. 
And the horror, the monster in a horror film, is best used when you rarely see them. When it's that thing that could be behind the corner. You know, something scary stalking up to you, right? In this chapter, we make our main character, Siri, our beloved princess who we've adored since we met her, right? And followed her journey. She has become the, the monster in a horror film. The entire bit on that link is treated like that. Uh, I, it might not have been a source of inspiration for Sivkowski considering um, translation stuff, I'm not sure, but it really feels like to me that first issue of Dark Knight Returns. Um, you know, Frank Miller, uh, when he came in to do this Batman story, um, he was really interested in tapping into certain aspects of the character. And many people credit him with making Batman, you know, dark and scary again. He's not. That 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 uh, goes to our wonderful Denny O'Neill, who I will cover some of his work soon, actually. Um, so look forward to that. Frank Miller wasn't reinventing the wheel, but what he was doing was using his unique style to tell a very poignant story while also telling a very interesting character-driven story. And it really resonated with the audience at the time. And in issue one, you have Batman effectively using the fear toxin of Scarecrow to scare the living daylights out of Two-Face's men. Uh, and uh, that's where that scene in Batman Begins comes from, you know, the, uh, where he appears as a demon. That, that That's pretty much ripped straight from the pages of Dark Knight Returns. And... Um, because of the way that that series was sold, it really resonated with a lot of people. Like, this is Batman. Because in the popular zeitgeist, Batman had been Adam West. He, uh, he was the silly, campy character. Um, you know, it, you know, it was just the, the all the classics. And there's nothing wrong with the Adam West Batman. I quite enjoy that side of the character as well. Batman is a uh, character that's infinitely malleable. Can be anything, anyone. But... You know, while in comic circles, Batman had reverted back to the dark uh, character that he was uh, originally created as with a much more mature take, thanks to the wonderfulness that is Denny O'Neill, may he rest in peace, Frank Miller brought that to a new cultural understanding. And he treated Batman as a horror monster. He treated Batman not as a heroic figure. And I think that was one of the things that really stuck out to people and made Dark Knight Returns really um, pop in pop culture. Um, outside of its interesting social commentary and great characters, etc., etc. Um, you know, here you have Sapkowski doing the same thing. He doesn't treat Siri like the character that we love. He doesn't treat Siri as the Witcher. He doesn't treat uh, Siri as the princess. He treats her as a horror monster during this ice skating s segment, and she becomes insanely scary. You know, she's using her techniques that she learned as a child, as a princess, ice skating Skellige. She uses her training as a witcher in tandem to kill these people. Granted, as she points out, she tries to rein herself in. She realizes what Visigoda was telling her last, uh, you know, last chapter, that she was heading to a mental breakdown, that she needs to let Stefan Skellen go. And she does. But she does enact her vengeance on riots. 
was taught pain with those hands, those fingers. And I will never forget reading the segment in which he chomped his fingers off with ice skates. That's just... Ugh. That, it's so perfect, the way he's built up to it. it, it it's a mastercraft in technical storytelling outside um, the emotions and the character development. There's a technical side of the way he does it, the, the scatter rhythm of the short sentences and the uh, you know varying paragraph length. Sometimes paragraphs are just a word, two words, three words, you know, very short. Uh, in the sentences, you know, two words, maybe less, sometimes a little bit more. And it, it, it provides this sort of building rhythm. And then with everything else, you know, the, the way he builds tension uh, through the use of all the characters. And Boreas Munn, you know, having the nightmare that he was going to drown gives us a sense of something bad's going to happen. And then when Boreas Munn survives, we realize, hmm... Maybe maybe it's not as bad as we think it is. And that's when he introduces the cut off the fingers with ice skates. Because he gets you to believe for just a second. It's not going to be all bad. And then he hits you with it. There's a rule in writing the rules of three. Uh, if you do something three times, it becomes a pattern. Uh, and the best way to ensure that the reader is taken off guard. Because we as humans are naturally used to the three uh, is a pattern concept is to break it when you would least expect it. So establish, then break. And that's what he does here. The ice skating scene is phenomenal and has a thousand fan hearts for a reason. Fantastic stuff. Outside of that, you know, we have um, Boreas Mun stuff that will come into play next book. Uh, I like how there's this, just this ordinary henchman who isn't, you know, bought into his own ridiculousness like Stefan Skeleton, or isn't a lapdog like Ryan's, or isn't purely evil like Bonhart or Vilgefortz, who's just this small-time henchman who's kind of realized he's not being paid enough for this kind of thing, and is just like, bye! And, um... I, we're going to come back to him, especially next book, and how that sort of works for him as a character uh, and his realization. It's kind of this like small thing that most um, most things wouldn't care about. Uh, I, I think a good equivalent would be that extra that's always there on your TV show. Um, just like small inconsequential things itty bitty characters maybe they get named once or twice um but they're always in the background and that helps seal that this is a real place with real people and it's not just the main characters walking around when a show does that well that can be built on and uh done in a way that uh really gives life to the world and this is the book equivalent of it and the way Sapkowski will expand upon that in the next book is quite fascinating uh I I, I call Boreas Mon sort of the the the, the chief O'Brien uh chief O'Brien uh for those who are unaware is a character from Star Trek the Next Generation in Star Trek Space Nine uh he started out as a minor character uh actually had no name initially uh but Cole Meany the, the actor who played him kept showing up 
and everybody on the set really liked him. And so they gave him a name eventually. They gave him some storylines. Well, like, this character really works. We like Colm. And then they, when they were pitching a, a spinoff, Deep Space Nine, they were like, why don't we... Why don't we bring O'Brien in? And he became a main character. He started out as a nameless grunt, an extra, and he became a main character. Um, and I think that kind of evolution can be a lot of fun if done right. And Boreas Munn doesn't overstay his welcome. He's a POV character here and a little bit later, but it's that kind of evolution uh, that, that really brings it to life, that shows that not everybody that's all on the evil side, especially because we had the big villain team up last chapter, that really comes to add here. We don't have the, you know, cackling evil guys do evil because evil. We have someone who's going, yeah, nah. And that leads into, like, Kenna leaving and her testifying at Stephen Skillen's trial in the future and her getting out of it by using her uh, telepathy to not rot in jail, basically. All that stuff. The other major things that happen in this chapter uh, are in regards to uh, minor minor things that will come up later and or confirming where Yen is. We got confirmation that Yen is in... Um, is in Vilgoforce's hands. We had hints of this uh, throughout, and um, you know, in her big chapter, a couple of chapters ago, you know, the, at the Sedna Abyss, the ship and her just vanished. No one knows what happened to her. We find out that Vilgoforce had basically magically teleported them to his like secret evil villain lair and tortured her. And we find out why Shiru and Ryans and all of them were on everybody's tail. You know, Geralt had hypothesized that this was done through magic in some way, uh, which is why uh, Regis did not appear, uh, and they had the wrong set of uh, people. It's because vampires don't appear in that magical uh, scrying. And the empathic bonds that basically form from person to person magically. I think it's a really interesting concept. It's not something that's hugely explored. Um, you know, it doesn't come up a whole lot, but I think that's really interesting. It, 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 you know, it doesn't need to be explored, but I think it's something that could be. But I, I like the idea that it's making the uh, the concept of the, 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 the actual Witcher saga literal. This is a family. This is found family. This is about three people who need each other and literally in the story the villains use that against them not by you know the, the standard you know shoot one of them or whatever classic tv cliches of literally there's a magical you know bond emotional bond <laughs> between these people and yen gives this up uh i really like it's not it's not directly stated but i like the, the hint of it and it's the way i've always read it and uh, i believe that, it, that this is the way it's intended to be is that she endures the torture of vilgefortz and refuses to give up siri or Garrett's location then finally after realizing that she will die that uh she needs to give him something Otherwise, she's dead. That she gives him Geralt's location through the emotional bond. And what I what I like about that is that 
there's multiple layers there. Geralt, having hypothesized that it was magic, hypothesized that it had to do with the emotional bond, and hypothesized that Yen had betrayed him, uh, and believing that Siri is dead, basically fell into the stupor, which we'll get into uh, next book. And here we find out that she gave it up only after extreme torture, and Vilgefort says, hmm, you know, I didn't think she had any feelings for him. This harkens back to their conversation, Time of Contempt. Remember, Vilgefort is incredibly projective. He projects his, his opinions, his feelings on everyone else. He's also incredibly misogynistic. Uh, and because of that, he has a low opinion of women, and he was taken advantage of by sorceress. So especially sorceresses, he fucking hates. And so he can't understand the blind love, the, the, the love of true people that Yen and Geralt feel. And she gave him up, not because she betrayed him, but because she knew he could handle himself. That Vilgefort has surrounded himself by with fools, with yes-men. You know, Ryan's is an incompetent fool who flunked out of magic school, you know, got basically got kicked out of an intelligence organization and has, you know, been working as a mercenary and is just kind of an idiot. Uh, so, at the end of the day, Gout should be able to take him. So she gives him that and that's where Siri can be left alone so that she can, uh, you know, go forth in her destiny if, if that's what she wills as long as she's safe. And Geralt will be safe because he can take care of himself. Which is why she gives up his information. Um, and I think that's a really brilliant way of showing how Yen thinks. Without expressly saying it. And showing how much she cares for everyone. Without expressly saying it. Um, this is such a wonderful uh, wonderful little bit of information with her. And it, it, it brings the previous chapters into more light. Uh, because this is the, the final chapter, and we found out about the entire thing, you know, very early on in one of Girls' first chapters, uh, meaning that if you are reading this without context, as everybody does in their first time, you would legitimately start thinking, could she have betrayed him? Of course, anybody who understands the character of Yuen would go, no, there's got to be some other explanation. It's a half-and-half half situation. She gave the information up, but knew that he wouldn't come to any harm. Very important caveat. She didn't betray him. Then, the stuff with Siri. After the ice skating, we get confirmation of what the Elder Blood is in terms of its magical capabilities. You know, we had hints about time travel. We've had hints uh, about other dimensions. And now we get confirmation she's traveled to another dimension where flowers smell different, unicorns exist, and there's a weird looking elf uh, who's, uh, you know, conveniently described just like Havelock, hmm, that he's uh, been waiting for her. And her vision quest, sort of, as she enters the Tower of Swallows, um, I really like because. This is her accepting her destiny, or at least a part of her destiny. And ironically, that was it mirrors the, the near the beginning of her journey, and 
the end of her journey, she sees flashes of the future and the past and of other other places and times. And I could go into various spoiler things about what's what's going on with the various visions, but I'll let that take its course. But we come to understand that, you know, this place is full of corpses. Th that bones upon bones. Th that, just like Kermorin, it is a place of history. A place of great sorrow and great pain. Great tragedy and what her destiny beholds much like I pointed out last chapter, isn't all sunshine and rainbows. She is death. Then we get the confirmation of the 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 door's vision from Blood of Elves, and she opens each door, and she and, and Triss, you know, comes full circle, standing on a hill. She sees Geralt with a woman conveniently described, just like Finja the Vigo. Uh, we see Yen being tortured once again, etc., etc. Then she has the vision of Visigoda, and Visigoda tells her, this was what this was all about. I knew it, because this is, we, we live in a circular time, time repeats itself, basically. I knew this was going to happen, and so I was, I was afraid for you, uh, because I've grown to care for you. And, you know, we, she finds out he's dead, and, and I like that little touch of he calls her Swallow, Ziriel at the end, and she calls him Raven. Um, and it's a nice little goodbye uh, between friends. And uh, the bird has left the nest. And what is to come is to come. Just remember to make use of sources. Uh, it is a beautiful tone setter. This chapter really gives you, um, you know... A sense of direction of how far Siri has come since the short stories. Um, how much she has changed. How much she has become something not cute and adorable anymore, but monstrous. But also shows that there is light at the end of the tunnel, possibly. And whether that light is a real light or not, up for her to figure out. Because she's in a new world now. I shall see you next time for the final book in the Witcher Saga, uh, Lady of the Lake. However, I will be covering, as I mentioned before, the prequel and the, the non-canonical short story after it. So it is not the last of the Witcher books I am covering, but it is the last in chronological order. See you then. Bye. Bye.